0: You are now listening to Mark the Medium on Mark's Unexplained World from Hinckley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about the 1952 Washington UFO incident. Over to you, Mark.
1: Between the 19th to the 29th of July, back in 1952, a series of unidentified flying objects or UFO sightings were reported in Washington DC. These later became known as the Washington Flap, the Washington National Airport sightings or the Invasion of Washington. The most publicized sightings took place on the consecutive weekends of the 19th to the 20th of July and the 26th to the 27th of July, 1952. So frequent were these sightings that Air Defence Command even set up a jet pilot to investigate these objects, but he was unable to overtake the moving unidentified air phenomena. The headlines from the Washington Post Monday edition declared and I quote, Sorcerer outruns jet, pilot reveals. Greetings unexplainers. Thank you for tuning in once again and listening to another out of this world episode of Mark's unexplained world. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium a ufologist, and a guy who wakes up every morning wondering and hoping whether today will be my alien abduction day. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the unidentified flying objects that are more commonly known as the 1952 Washington UFO incident. And this week's necessary disclaimer. Like all my podcasts, You listen at your own discretion. Also, all opinions and comments are strictly my own, but the facts still remain. I also apologise if I pronounce anything incorrectly. My English, although it is my first and only language, often goes out for long walks with a theosaurus in hopes for a change in scenery or backdrop or decor or landscape or terrain or, well... You get the general idea. So, onwards and upwards we go with this week's Out of This World story. According to Wikipedia, Washington DC was formerly the District of Columbia and is commonly known as Washington or DC and is the capital city of the United States of America. The city is located on the east bank of the Potomac River, which forms its southwestern border with Virginia, and borders Maryland to its north and east. The city was named after George Washington, who was a founder-member, sorry, a founder-father, victorious commanding general of the Continental Army in the American Revolutionary War, and the first official president of the United States who is sometimes referred to as the father of his country. This district is also named for Columbia, the female personification of the nature of the nation, sorry. Oh dear. Washington DC anchors the southern end of the northeast megalopolis, one of the nation's largest and most influential cultural political, and economic regions. As the seat of the US federal government and several other international organizations, the city is undoubtedly an important world political capital. It is the eighth most visited city in the United States, with over two million visitors as of 2019. It was at about 11.40pm on a Saturday night, on the 19th of July 1952. An air traffic controller, Edward Nugent, was sat at his radar screen at Washington National Airport in Washington DC, when he suddenly saw what appeared to be seven unusual blips on his radar screen in front of him. The objects were located around 15 miles or 24 kilometers south-southwest of the city of Washington. There was no known aircraft supposed to be in the area at that time, so there was absolutely no explanation for the presence of the seven unusual objects on his screen. Edward Nugent called over his superior, Harry Barnes, to come and take a look and to see if he could make some sort of sense out of what they were looking at. Together, they watched the strange objects dart across the screen, but they were at a loss as to what the blips were, so much so that they even checked to make sure the radar equipment was working properly. Harry Barnes said later on of the event, and I quote, we knew immediately that a very strange situation existed. Their movements were completely radical compared to those of ordinary aircraft. Harry Barnes then called the National Airport's radar-equipped control tower. The controllers there named Howard Cochlin and Joe Zacco said that they also had unidentified blips on their radar screens. And that they had also seen hovering bright lights in the sky, which then suddenly departed at an incredible speed. Edward Cochlin asked Joe Zacco, and I quote, Did you see that? What the hell was it? At this point, other objects started to appear in all sectors of the radar scope. When the objects moved over to the White House and Washington, DC, Air Traffic Control Supervisor Harry Barnes contacted Andrews Air Force Base, which was located approximately 10 miles from the Washington National Airport. Although Airman William Brady from Andrews Air Force Base reported that they had no unusual objects on their radar, another airman from within Andrews Air Force Base soon called the control tower to report the sighting of a strange object in the sky according to william brady the object which appeared to be like an and i quote orange ball of fire trailing a trail it was like anything i'd never i'd ever seen before as william brady tried to alert the other personnel in the tower he added that the strange object and i quote took off at an unbelievable speed. The controllers at both airports, at Washington National and Andrews Air Force Base, began tracking the objects, which they estimated to be traveling at around 130 miles per hour, when all of a sudden, they just suddenly disappeared from the radar screen. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, the strange objects reappeared again, once more zipping all round the sky. One was reported to have made an incredible 90 degree turn, whilst another one just as suddenly went in reverse. It's worth noting at this point, that both of these manoeuvres were completely impossible to make with any American airplanes back in 1952. After this first short break, in part two, we will look at further details of the UFO flap from the 19th of July, and then look into the sightings of the 26th and 27th of July.
0: This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. Find them online at www.hauntedresearchcenter.com or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinckley, LE10 1AW open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over-sixteens only, please, unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only 3 99 to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre.
1: Capital Airlines pilot, S.C. Pearman was waiting patiently in the cockpit of his Douglas DC-4 airliner, waiting for the permission to take off from one of the national airport's runways. After he spotted what he believed to be a meteor, he was informed that the Washington Control Tower's radar had detected unknown objects closing in on his position. SC Peermann observed six objects and according to him, they were white, tailless, fast-moving lights that lasted for over a 14-minute period. S.C. Pearman was also in radio contact with air traffic control supervisor Harry Barnes during his sightings, and Harry Barnes later claimed that, and I quote, Each sighting coincided with a, a, a pip that we could see near his plane, when he reported that the light streaked off at a high speed, it disappeared on our scope. Meanwhile, the control tower personnel at Andrews Air Force Base were tracking by radar what some thought were more unknown objects. Staff Sergeant Charles Davenport observed an orange-red light to the south, which he said and i quote the uh, uh, the the light would appear to stand still then make an abrupt change in both directions and altitude this happened several times at one point both radar centers washington national airport and andrews air force base were tracking an object which was hovering over a radio beacon what was more compelling about this strange object Was that when it vanished from the sky it also completely disappeared from all the radar center screens at the same time. And another odd thing to note about these Unidentified Air Phenomena, or UAPs, is when at about 3am in the morning shortly before the F-94 Starfire Jet Fighters from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware arrived over Washington DC, all of the objects disappeared from the radar screens at the Washington National Airport. So what's it about that I hear you scream? Well, when the F-94 Starfire jets ran low on fuel and left the area, the unidentified air phenomena returned. This action convinced air traffic control supervisor Harry Barnes that, and I quote, the UFOs were monitoring radio traffic traffic and behaving accordingly. When suddenly, without warning, at 5.30am on the Sunday morning of the 20th of July, the objects just... disappeared. On the following Monday, the UAP sightings from the 19th and the 20th of July 1952 made front-page headlines in many newspapers around the nation. Typical examples of, of a headline from the Cedar Rapids Gazette in Iowa read, and I quote, "Saucers swarm over Capitol, read all about it! In very large, friendly black letters. An uneventful week passed by and the Washington flap started to die down. That is until 8.15 pm on the next Saturday, the 26th of July 1952, when an aircraft pilot and stewardess on a National Airlines flight into Washington, D.C. noticed some strange lights above their plane. And within a matter of minutes, both of the radar centres at Washington National Airport and Andrew and sorry I'll try that one again and Andrews Air Force Base were tracking more strange phenomena in the skies over Washington, DC. Again, well, they say it never rains, but it pours. USAF Master Sergeant Charles E. Cummings visually observed the unidentified air phenomena at Andrews Air Force Base, claiming that, and I quote, Uh, These lights did not have the characteristics of shooting stars. There were no trails. They travelled faster than any shooting star I have ever seen. Project Blue Book's press spokesman, Albert M. Chopp, arrived at Washington National Airport and, due to security concerns, denied several reporters requests to photograph the radar screens. On an interesting side note, Project Blue Book was the codename for systematic study of unidentified flying objects by the United States Air Force, from March 1952 to its termination on the 17th of December 1969, almost 18 years later. The project, headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, was initially directed by Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, and followed projects of a similar nature, such as Project Sign, established in 1947, and Project Grudge, in 1948. Project Blue Book had two goals, namely to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyse any UFO-related data. I do go into a lot more detail regarding Project Blue Book on one of my Mark's Unexplained World podcasts, available through Spreaker.com on Hinckley Community Radio. It's episode number 47, The History of Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book's press spokesman, Albert M. Chopp, then joined the Radar Center personnel at the Washington National Airport. But by this time, at approximately 9.30pm, the Radar Center was detecting UAPs, UFOs, glowing lights and strange phenomena in every sector of the skies. It was absolute chaos up there, what with some of the objects travelling slowly, some of them travelling quickly, then backwards, forwards, up down and around. It was just like a rave in an ant's nest. At the time, it was calculated that the speed on which some of the objects moved across the radar scope were up to as much as 7,000 miles per hour. Two hours later, at approximately 11.30 p.m., two F-94 Starfire jet fighters from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware were back, arriving over Washington DC again. The F-94 flight leader, Captain John McHugo, was vectored towards the radar blips, but he saw absolutely nothing, despite repeated attempts. His wingman, Lieutenant William Patterson, however, did see four white glowing objects and chased them. He told investigators, and I quote, I tried to make contact with the bogies below 1,000 feet. He also added, and I quote, I was at maximum speed, but I ceased chasing them because I saw no chance of overtaking them. According to Project Blue Book press spokesman Albert M. Chopp, when the ground control asked Lieutenant sorry, Lieutenant William Patterson, while he was flying his F94, if he saw anything, William Patterson replied, and I quote, I see them now and they're all around me. What should I do? But nobody in ground control answered, simply because no one knew what to tell him. Half an hour later, just after midnight on the 27th of July, Project Blue Book's liaison at the Pentagon, USAF Major Dewey Fournette and the Washington, sorry, and the United States Navy radar specialist, Lieutenant John Holcomb, arrived at the Washington National Airport Radar Center. During the night, radar specialist Holcomb received a call from the Washington National Weather Station they informed him that a slight temperature inversion was present over the city. But Lieutenant John Holcomb felt that the temperature inversion in question was not, and I quote, not nearly strong enough to explain the good and solid returns on the radar scopes. Fournet delayed that all those present in the radar room were convinced that the targets were most likely caused by solid metallic objects, There had been weather targets on the scope too, but this was a common occurrence and the controllers were were paying no attention to them. And on yet another interesting side note, in meteorology, a temperature inversion is a deviation from the normal change of an atmospheric property with altitude. Normally, air temperature decreases with an increase in altitude, but during an inversion, warmer air is held above the cooler air. An inversion traps polluted air, uh, such as smog, close to the ground. It can also suppress convection by acting as a cap. And if this cap is broken for any several reasons, convection of any moisture present can then erupt into a violent thunderstorm temperature inversions can notoriously result in freezing rain in cold temperatures. There were two more US Air Force F-94 jet fighters flown from the Newcastle Air Force Base, which was scrambled during the night. One pilot didn't see anything unusual whilst the other pilot claimed he did see a white light which vanished when he moved towards it. A few civilian aircraft also reported a few glowing objects that corresponded to the radar blips seen by the Andrews Air Force Base radar operators. Then, just the same as the week earlier on the 20th of July, 1952, On the 27th of July, the UFOs, UAPs, all the strange phenomena and unknown radar returns ended. After this second short break in the final part, we will look at the aftermath of the UAP sightings and some of the possible explanations for the phenomena.
2: Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public, pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests, offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation only events. They can also host private events for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07 852 628 or email them at office at frightnights.co.uk or take a look at their website at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters join Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? Why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future. They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights Ghost Hunting Events. Remember, only the original will do.
1: As with the sightings from the 19th and the 20th of July, the sightings from the 26th and the 27th of July 1952 also made front-page headlines. This forced President Harry Truman to have his Air Force aide call Project Blue Book director Captain Edward J. Ruppelt and ask for an explanation of the UAP sightings and unknown radar returns. President Harry Truman listened to the conversations between his Air Force aide and Captain Edward J. Ruppelt on a separate phone, but did not ask any questions himself. Edward J. Ruppelt, remembering the conversation he had had with the Air Force aide, said that the sightings may have been caused by the before mentioned temperature inversions. However, Rupel also told the Air Force aide that as of yet, he had not interviewed any of the witnesses or conducted any formal investigation. Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA historian, Gerald Hines, in his 1997 book, The History of the CIA's Involvement with UFOs, also mentions President Harry Truman's concern at the time of the incidents. He said, And I quote, A a, a massive buildup of sightings over the United States in 1952, especially in July, alarmed the Truman administration. On 19th and 20th of July, radar scopes of Washington's National Airport and Andrews Air Force Base tracked mysterious blips. On the 27th of July, the blips reappeared. The CIA would react to the 1952 wave of UFO reports by forming a special study group within the Office of Scientific Intelligence or OSI and Office of Current Intelligence or OCI to review the situation. Edward Trous reported for the group that most UFO sightings could be easily explained. Nonetheless, he recommended that the agency continue monitoring the problem. The extremely high number of UFO reports in 1952 disturbed both the Air Force and the Central Intelligence Agency or CIA. Both the CIA and the Air Force felt that an enemy nation could deliberately flood the United States with false UFO reports, causing mass panic and allowing them to launch a sneak attack. So, on the 24th of September, 1952, the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence, or OSI, sent a memorandum to the CIA's director, Walter B. Smith. The the memo stated that, and I quote, the flying saucer situation has national security implications. In the public concern with the phenomena lies the potential for the touching off of mass hysteria and panic. The result of this memorandum led to the creation in January 1953 of the Robertson Panel. The Robertson Panel was a scientific committee which met in January 1953 headed by American mathematician and scientist Howard P. Robertson. The panel came about from a recommendation to the Intelligence Advisory Committee, or the IAC, in December of 1952 from the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA's, review of the US Air Force investigation into unidentified flying objects and Project Blue Book. It sounds complicated, I know, but the Robertson panel was briefed on U.S. military activities. The panel's report had concluded that UFOs were not a direct threat to national security, but could pose an indirect threat by overwhelming standard military communications due to public interest in the subject. They concluded that most UFO reports could be explained as misidentification of mundane aerial objects and the remaining minority could, in all likelihood, be similarly explained with further study. The Robertson panel recommended that a public education campaign should be undertaken in order to reduce the public interest in the subject minimizing the risk of swamping air defense systems with reports on critical times and that civilian UFO groups should be monitored. The Robertson panel's report was contained within a larger internal CIA report by F.C. Durant, who was an, sorry, who was a CIA officer serving as secretary to the panel which summarizes the activity of the panel and its conclusions. This wider document is commonly referred to as the Durant Report. On the 29th of July 1952, Air Force Major Generals John Samford, who was the USAF Director of Intelligence, and Roger N. Ramsey, who was the USAF Director of Operations, held a packed press conference at the Pentagon. In John Samford's opening comments, he noted that out of hundreds of UFO sightings and reports over the years, they have been investigated by the Air Force there and was, and I quote, A sad percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things, but that none of them posed any national security threat. At the event, Air Force Major General John Samford stated that the visual sightings over Washington could be explained as misidentified aerial phenomena, such as stars or meters, uh, sorry, meteors, and unknown radar targets could be explained by temperature inversions, which was present in the air over Washington on both nights the radar returns were reported. There we go with the temperature inversions again. Mind you, he does say uh, it could be explained, so nothing's definite there. In addition, General John Sanford also stated that the unknown rain radar contacts were not caused by solid material objects and therefore posed no threat to national security. To be honest, I was waiting for the complementary identification of the weather balloon. In response to the question as to whether the Air Force had recorded any similar UFO radar contacts prior to the Washington UFO incident, General General John Samford said that there had been hundreds of such contacts where Air Force fighter interceptions had taken place, but stated that they were all fruitless. It was noted at a later date that this Pentagon press conference had been classed as the largest since World War II, with the tabloid press calling General John Samford and Roger N. Ramey the Air Force's two top UFO experts. Among the witnesses who supported General John Samford's explanation was the crew of an American medium B-25 Mitchell bomber, which had been flying over Washington DC during the UAP sightings of the 26th and the 27th of July. The medium B-25 Mitchell was vectored several times by the Washington National Airport over the unknown targets or the airport's radar scopes. Yet the crew all stated that they could see nothing unusual. One of the crew members related, and I quote, the radar had a target which turned out to be the Wilson Line steamboat trip to Mount Vernon. The radar was sure as hell picking up the steamboat. Air Force Captain Harold May was in was in the Andrew Air Force Base Radar Center during the UAP sightings of the 19th and the 20th of July. When Harold May heard that the Washington National Airport's radar had picked up an unknown object heading in his direction, Harold May stepped outside and saw, and I quote, a light that was changing from red to orange to green to red again, that at times dipped suddenly and appeared to lose altitude. However, Harold May eventually concluded that all he was looking at was a star that was distorted by the atmosphere and that its movements was just an illusion. At about 3 a.m. on the 27th of July, an Eastern Airlines flight over Washington was told that an unknown object was in its vicinity. However, the crew themselves could see nothing unusual. When they were told that the object had moved directly behind their plane, they began a sharp turn to try and get a visual, but then they were told by the Washington National Airport's radar center that the object had disappeared. request of the Air Force, the Civil Aeronautics Authority or the CAA's Technical Development and Evaluation Centre did an analysis on all the radar sightings from the night in question. Their conclusion was that, and I quote, a temperature inversion that had been indicated in almost every instance when the unidentified radar targets or visual objects had been reported. Project Blue Book would eventually label the unknown Washington radar blips as false images that were caused by, you guessed it, temperature inversions, and that all the visual sightings were misidentified meteors, stars and city lights. But interestingly, no weather balloons. In later years, Two prominent UFO sceptics, an astronomer at Harvard University, Donald Menzel, and a senior editor for Aviation Week magazine, Philip Klass, would also argue in favour of the temperature inversion. Well, being UFO sceptics, they were bound to say that, weren't they really? I mean, come on. In 2002, Philip Klass told a reporter that, and I quote... Radar technology in 1952 wasn't sophisticated enough to filter out many ordinary objects such as uh, flocks of birds, weather balloons or temperature inversions. However, the reporter added that the UFO proponents argue that even the seasoned controllers could tell the difference between spurious targets and solid metallic objects. The Washington Flap is still played out today in popular culture. For example, the tenth and final episode of the first season of the 2019 History Channel television series Project Blue Book, titled The Washington Merry-Go-Round, is based on the 1952 Washington UFO incident and several episodes of the 2021 Netflix series top secret UFO projects declassified refer to the nineteen fifty two Washington DC UFO incident including the first episode project blue book unknown which reenacts the incident with CGI and plays archival footage with several former witnesses The former radar controller from the Washington National Airport's radar-equipped control tower, Howard Cochlin, told the Washington Post in 2002 that he was still convinced that he saw an object stating that, and I quote, I saw it on the radar screen and out of the window over Washington National Airport.
0: Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's World in our next episode show 65 we are going to be looking at the German wings flight 9525 this was a scheduled international passenger flight from Barcelona El Prat Airport in Spain to Dusseldorf Airport in Germany Its crash was deliberately caused by the co-pilot Andreas Lubitz who had previously been treated for suicidal tendencies and been declared unfit to work by his doctor. However Lubitz kept this information from his employer and instead reported for duty. Shortly after the aircraft reached cruise altitude and while the captain was out of the cockpit, Lubitz locked the cockpit door and initiated a control to descent that continued until the aircraft hit a mountainside, killing all 144 passengers and 6 crew, all of who came from at least 18 different countries.
1: This show was written and researched by me, Mark Hughes, and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes, and Denise Pooler. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinckley, and a big thanks to everyone for listening. Mark's unexplained world, because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember guys, keep it real, because being real is better than being perfect. This show and all its contents are covered by basic copyright of Mark the Medium.